This is Control Structure, episode 66, for July 30th, 2014. Big week to everyone listening. This show has notes. You can visit them at by going to thenexus.tv slash cs66 to see them. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I am doing pretty good, Stephen. How are you? Pretty good, too. Yeah, well, this has been a pretty busy week for me. Uh, starting off, like, I want to get my uh, car painted since I noticed that there's, like, uh, rusting going on under the paint. So I want to get get it all repainted and, like, uh, like sandblast off the uh, rust. So I'm kind of busy going around to a few body shops uh, trying to, like, get estimates on how much it does, you know, how much that, that will cost. Uh, hint, quite a lot. <laughs> Since it's about, like, panels, that'll cover, like, half the car. So, um... So, so you, you're just doing a certain section, then you're not actually doing the entire car? Um, certain sections, which, as a whole, compromise about half the car. So that means you're not changing colors? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> so, then there's, uh, the other thing, in that about a month ago, I noticed, uh... Uh, banners going up around my apartment complex saying that, uh, you know, it's like the best of the best apartments in town, and my uh, lease will be up, up in October. So I'm thinking they're probably going to raise my rent a little bit. Um, and also, uh, so I want to start uh, looking around for an, another place to live. I mean, I've lived in this place for almost five years, um, but, uh, you know, it's time for something new and time for something a little bit closer to where I work. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe that, uh, like, compared to my first job, like, I have worked longer at my current job, uh, including, like, the contracting portion, uh, than any other job, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh. And my first job was, you know, my longest up until then. So, uh, yeah. It might- seems, seems like a good indicator, then, that it might be good to have a, a close-to-work uh, <laughs> house to live in place. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sort of looking around there, but, uh, you know, uh, that, that can, you know, be held off a little bit, so... And you said, what, October you have, Phil? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, uh, another thing is one of my friends is getting married, so, like, I needed to, like, plan out, I was like, okay, like, when am I going to take off work for this? So, uh, turns out I'll be off, like, the, uh like Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week. So maybe I'll uh, be able to go around and look at apartments then before I get over there. So And also uh, uh, pick up some pierogies. Ah, there you go. So yes, it'll be... uh, Next Wednesday will probably be another pierogi day. So... Ah, but yeah, big stuff going on. Like, huge, uh, like, unprecedented uh, things going on. Very unprecedented... So, like, there's been no election, there is no president, it's unprecedented. So, uh, anyways, uh, you know, I'll probably be uh, calling up some utilities uh, when I move. Uh, but uh, thank goodness I do not uh, receive service from Comcast anymore. Uh, if you remember that one call from last week? I do remember the call from, uh, forget the guy's name. Uh, uh, Ryan Block, I think? Yep, Ryan Block. He goes on in the, I forget how many minutes, well, I think the video was like nine minutes, but he'd been on, on for about for however many minutes before then, like right? A, like ten minutes into that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, apparently The Verge has uh, done a little journalism, uh, 
and they've uh, spoken with over 100 current and former Comcast employees. So, uh, like, pretty much what's endemic about, you know, all of the uh, uh, representatives is that they're all sales reps. Even the people you call to get your stuff fixed, they're all sales people. Meaning the technical department that has shouldn't be trying to sell you stuff. Is just, trying to sell you stuff. Exactly. So it's like, hey, something isn't working of ours, but let me sell you, sell you something else that won't work. Or, you know, this, you know, I'm sorry I'm two months late on my bill. Hey, would you like to buy something else? Yes. Or either that the one it says, uh, I remember when a 90-year-old woman called to add her phone to her account. My boss told me afterward. She was probably senile. You should have upgraded her cable. Yeah. And then he goes on, I don't think you're going to be sitting in this seat for very long. So that's the theme you see with all these employees, is they're all under their, the quota for the, the day or week or whatever. And if they don't meet it, they get fired. And so it's not the employee's fault that they're being like this. It's because they could get fired if they don't push people to buy stuff. It's yeah. Comcast is doing this. This is a policy of the company yeah. that they're doing this. Yeah, even though they claim the policy is otherwise, it's effectively not. Yes. So, but uh, while their customer service is pretty bad, you probably should not pull a gun on the repairman, or excuse me, the salesman that comes to your door to fix your stuff. Or at least if you pull a gun on not steal his tool bag. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, apparently, a woman in, uh, was it Albuquerque, uh, kind of got fed up with all this. Um, she claimed that the, uh, salesman that she called to, you know, have, uh, stuff be fixed said that it would be free, uh, like whatever the repair was. Uh, so the serviceman showed up and, uh, informed her that it would in fact not be free. They called up, uh, Comcast and they also said it would not be free. So the lady's like, um, okay, I guess I don't need that anymore. So please leave. So, apparently, the guy already had some tools out, so he, you know, uh, apparently had to make a few trips, which was kind of weird. So, he uh, made a few, he uh, took one bag of tools, put it out in the van, while she grabbed the other one and put it inside. And when he came up and knocked on the door, she came out with a gun. So, so my understanding of it wasn't that, that he was just packing up his tools to go and then she pulled the gun. It was that he was said if she didn't pay, he'd just leave. And then it says she refused to pay. And the worker told police he was loading his bags into the vehicle. Vehicle, And then the lady grabbed one of his tool bags and took it in, into her house. So it's more of a he was leaving. He was he told her there was a fee. She said, no, I'm not paying. He said, OK, I'm going. Yeah, something like and that. And then she grabs the bag and steals it from him. Yeah, that's the important part. Yes, she, she was the initiator here. He was he was just explaining that he had to pay the fee and he was leaving. He wasn't didn't sound like he was doing anything bad if he was just packing up and leaving. Yeah. So <laughs> so then after uh you know the gun was pulled on him, you know, he's like, "Okay, fine." And goes back out to the van where he calls 911. Uh that lady also called the police about all of this. And uh, apparently she's, like, out on bond or something. Uh, like, at least she uh, spent some period of time uh, in police custody over this. I don't get what she figured she was going to. I mean, it's almost like she feels like she was entitled 
I mean, I understand, like, well, if she, she thought she, that the customer rep told her it would be free, but... Um, yeah, and apparently her idea was, like, to have, you know, someone higher up in the uh, food chain at Comcast come over and, you know, deal with this. So, yeah. You know, it, your customer service might be bad, but it's not that bad. So, uh, hey, uh, how about something else that's kind of bad? Uh, like uh, uh, video games or Kickstarters, you know, uh, software on Kickstarter. Uh, don't back it if there's not a programmer on board already. So uh, Ian Fish, uh, which uh, you know, he wrote this, he's probably the most important guy behind Road Redemption, uh, one of the games that I've backed. Uh, but he goes on here, uh, you know, writing about the uh, failed Kickstarter called Yog Ventures, I think. It uh, was apparently backed by some YouTube celebrities. And uh, the uh, management of money for this was, like, really bad. And uh, apparently, like, perhaps the most outrageous is, like, they hired a artist. And, like, they paid him apparently bulk up front. And then, like, two weeks later, he got hired by, I think, Disney or, like, some other big company, such that he would not be able to fulfill his end of the contract. But there was nothing in his contract saying that he had to give that money back. Uh -huh. So that was, like, a hundred or so thousand dollars down the drain or so. And, uh, like, other, uh, like, big uh, allocations of money going towards, you know, like, not actually making a functional game. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, you just got to need to watch out for this. Yeah. I think, too, too, another aspect of it is the management side of it. That they, you know, did a contract that wasn't actually enforcing the guy to do his job. And so, it, it, yes, they, maybe a programmer could have been nice, but also to just a business sense or a lawyer sense. If, if the guy had had that, maybe he could have had a better contract that would have gotten them out of that trouble. Yeah. So, uh, so you, uh, found a game that actually has real developers on it, has a programmer on it. They still might run out of money and be total assholes and squat in your condo. And squat as in, like, live in your place without your authorization. Um, so as what, ha as what may be happening, uh, with, uh, two squatters out in, I think, California. So, a woman rented her 600-square-foot condo to someone in May with a 44-day contract through uh, Airbnb. Uh, when the contract ran out, the uh, man staying there with his brother refused to leave, uh, according to the homeowner. And apparently, due to some quirk in California tenant law, the man now has rights as a tenant after he stays in a place for 30 days. So, yeah, like, they've apparently run out of money, and, uh, uh, so, let's see, and some connection was made, um, I think the, uh, homeowner, like, actually noticed these guys on Kickstarter or something, like, some connection was made, so apparently these, uh, guys that actually ran the Kickstarter has, have run out of money, so they don't want to pay to live anywhere, <laughs> so they're just, like, living in this place, and the former uh, resident has, you know, threatened to shut off, you know, like electricity and like all the utilities. And apparently the people living there now like want to sue the former uh, owner because like the water was bad or something. Wait, the people living here now who can't or are not paying for the rent? Yes. 
You're trying to sue? <laughs> yes, because like uh, like the tap water ruined their coffee maker or something. Really? Something really weird and, you know, like, why are you still here? <laughs> so, and apparently the, uh, the, like, the way they set up their uh, uh, game development company was really convoluted. So, yeah. So that is one thing with the, the kickstarting model, is it empowers normal people to have massive funds to do something, which can be good. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you could get normal people that don't really understand how to do proper cost analysis and planning, and then they end up just burning the money and wasting it because <laughs> they don't really know what they're doing. So uh, now h- how about uh, another crowdfunding uh, campaign that's not on Kickstarter this time? Uh, let's go over to Indiegogo for a moment and talk about Charge All. So, uh, like, uh, it was maybe about a year ago, I backed a project that was essentially a USB solar cell, and it also came with this really handy thing, uh, like a power bank. It had a couple USB ports on it, and it was like essentially like uh, an external battery to something. Um, so this is another external battery, except that it has a wall socket on it. So this act can actually power anything through like, uh, like a 120 volt AC, you know, 60 hertz AC type of plug instead of just a USB. So you can like power laptops off of this thing. So I thought it was pretty impressive. It said that the small version, uh, would do a MacBook Pro two charges and then they have a large version that says three charges. They gave a what desktop fan fifteen and twenty hours for the two two models. It, it seemed like they actually have a decent amount of power within within the bricks. Yeah, so I believe it looks like it's uh, uh, twelve thousand mAh and eighteen thousand mAh. So now, one interesting question is: What's the lifespan of these batteries? Okay, wait. I guess the chart does say it says five hundred times. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine that's probably a lithium polymer battery in there. The kind that catches on fire when you puncture them? <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them. I- I've heard that about the, the lipos that the R- people in RC were using sometimes, and I, I heard-, heard a guy t- say once that he's seen people who would crash their planes, and then they pick up the pieces and they put the battery in their pocket, and then like, it'll catch on fire because it was <laughs> punctured. <laughs> In your pocket. Not a good time for it to catch on fire. So, like I've heard that uh, might have been LiPo, it might have been uh, lithium-ion, that uh, uh, some of the Sony batteries like actually had like flakes of metal in the electrolyte or something, and that's what caused them to short out and catch fire. Is that the, the big deal with the laptops catching on fire? Yeah. Like four or five years ago? Yeah, like they had like high levels of metal flakes or dust or something in them. Oops. Yeah, have fun with that. Raspberry? Raspberry. Raspberry? Raspberry! Raspberry! Almost. <laughs> Almost? Almost. You, you didn't hear that? W- didn't hear what? My last raspberry? Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Anyways. Anyways. 
So this company called hmm, Hard o- Kernel. Hard Kernel. Ah, I do recognize that. I wonder how that's pronounced. It's O D. So it's O Droid, I think. Dash yeah. W. Yeah, O Droid Dash W. So it's basically a res the, the the chip that the Raspberry Pi uses, but on a smaller board, and it's minus the the full size USB ports and the Ethernet plug. So what you get then is a device that the length of it's about the width of Raspberry Pi, and so it's as yeah, as I am me. Yeah, it looks like it's almost one third of the size. So yeah. I guess what this is is like another form factor. It uses like the same CPU and has some of uh, some of the same uh, uh, like expansions and like ports and stuff on it. Yes, and it also adds in the has a, a battery for the persistent uh, clock too. So and it also it also yeah it also has uh, like plugs for just a general external battery on it too. So oh yeah, I, I did see that they were talking about the the battery power. So it it, it is interesting because it's so small. And the fact that you're running the same hardware, your Raspberry Pi software. So this company didn't produce any software, it sounds like, more or less. They just took the Raspberry stuff and said, there you go. And they're yeah. in good shape because all the Raspberry Pi stuff is open source. Which I, I guess that's a danger you run with something like the Raspberry Pi Foundation. You've made everything open for everyone, but now no one's, nothing says that someone can't use your, your hardware. Well, but then, you know, if you have, you know, something open like that, then that means, like, this ecosystem can grow a lot more. Yes, and, and that's kind of the trade-off. But I think the key piece, though, is shipped. They were saying, no, I don't think it was shipped there. But, but the, the core price of this was $30, which the Raspberry Pi model B Plus was 35 So really, I'd probably prefer the B Plus, just because it has the USB ports and everything on it. Unless I was going for something small and I wanted to plug in the battery. So yeah. I think this this is not replacing the Pi. It's kind of a competitor to the Pi. It was really filling a different niche in the market. Exactly. It's not replacing the Pi, actually, though. You know, you could, put, you could put this into something handheld, even. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I've been sort of a fan for, uh, of the demo scene for a long time. A blogger has been interviewing several of the people involved in behind the scenes. Uh, here's one from KB of Farbrush, uh, one of uh, which is actually my favorite demo group. So, uh, like most of the uh, demo scene activity, mostly happens in Europe. So, uh, like there's a lot of uh, parties that they get together, and you know, uh, like over the past, you know, it usually happens like usually over the past month or so leading up to the party that, you know, people get together and create these, like, audio-visual, uh, how should I say, masterpieces. Um, like, they're pretty much like a, uh, just graphics demos, mostly. Uh, but they're, uh, like, the idea is to, you know, uh, use the hardware to its fullest extent. Uh, but, you know, that was, like, especially back in the earlier days. Uh, but nowadays, it's, you know, more of an artistic expression. So, uh... Uh, KB here is a member of the group called Farbrosh, and as far as I know, the closest translation of that is color intoxication. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, this group got started around, I think it was 2000 or so, but it has roots in like several other groups. Uh, So uh, KB essentially says that, uh, you know, pretty much every year, like around sometime in December, 
like him and like the other guys in the group go up to some vacation house in Denmark and, you know, code whatever uh, demo that they will be releasing at, you know, the party uh, between, I think it's December, between Christmas and New Year's usually. Uh, you know, sometimes there are others uh, like around the year, especially at Easter. Uh, but I found this uh, interview particularly, uh, uh, particularly interesting. Yeah, mostly because this is the story, you know, sort of the behind the scenes of some of my uh, favorite demos. So, so would the demos be kind of like what you see at the beginning of games sometimes that are like a, a short video of what the game is supposed to be like, but really isn't at all like what the gameplay is like? Is that what these mainly are? Uh, no. Um, mostly because those are like pre-rendered. Uh, whereas pretty much every demo is rendered real time on your GPU, ah. so it's it has more in common with like the game renderer itself. Um, but you know, like while there are a few uh, productions that are actually games, most of them are not. Okay. So like most of them show off something pretty or something. So yeah. If you're interested, uh, it's quite a good, nice read. So uh, remember Hemingway? It's that yes. it's that one little web app that suggests improvements. Uh, stand by for garbage truck. <laughs> Wasn't sure if there was an airplane or a truck. Yeah, it's it not- usually usually has a nice lead up to it. He's not backing up. There it goes. Wait, no, no, he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways. Uh, Hemingway. It's a little web app that suggests improvements to your writing. Uh, okay, I lied. It now has a desktop app with markdown support, no less. So I sort of saved this link here, and I totally forgot to uh, buy this. So I'm probably going to buy this. So was, wasn't the online web app free, though? Yes, but I do not think it supported Markdown, far as I know. Oh, okay. So that's why you're interested in it. Uh, because I use Markdown for my blog. Excuse me. So, uh, have you heard of, like, uh, you know, industry analysts and, like, how they look at sales charts for, like, electronics and computers and stuff? And they've pretty much concluded that the PC as a platform has died. Yes, I, I remember reading maybe five, six, seven years back even people in PC Magazine were, were talking about how the, the PC was dying and, and we'd all have smartphones by now and we wouldn't have the desktop anymore. Well, that's not true. People are still using PCs. It has, they haven't died. And like even uh, you can say like the ways people use computers haven't really changed that much. Uh, in fact, people are still using the ones that they've had for years because the PC did not die. It became future-proof. And apparently that's now happening to tablets and phones as well. So, like, especially uh, tablets, like, hardly anybody's buying tablets anymore. Um, I guess I can point to uh, uh, Ryan Rampersad, you know, the guy that runs the network. Um, like, he pretty much has given up on tablets as, like, a computing form factor. I think that the power needs to get there. I mean, it's coming, but really, for now, your desktop is just so much cheaper for what it can provide and the flexibility of components. Yeah, the stick in it. performance per dollar, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Plus, when those Memristor hard drives come out, it'll be easier to upgrade. Or Memristor drives. Memristor drives, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So the uh, author of this article says that, you know, he's had his PC for like, what, three years or so? Uh, or Fierce. four Yeah, four years. Yeah. And, uh, like, he remembers, you know, like, back in the day, he was, like, buying it, buying another one, or upgrading another one, like, every year or so. Yeah. And like he said, you know, he says he has a system with 16 gigs of RAM, a 2 gigabyte graphics card, and I, I think he said he had an i5 processor. He said pretty much that runs the games that he wants to run at 60 frames per second, which, if you can play the games you want to play, there's no reason to upgrade. Exactly. So, and I noticed this, I think it was back in January or so, that uh, the current machine that I have, I've had for three years, and the machine I had before that, I had for three years, and I'm not looking to upgrade this one anytime soon, uh, and, like, I'm happy with pretty much every component in it, unlike the last time, so... Yeah, I, I think it used to be the RAM was a pretty big deal, because, like, you had Windows XP came out, and oh, well, you needed at least a gigabyte, maybe two gigabytes to make it go. And a lot of machines maybe had 512 or or a few, 128, something like that. Um, there well, initially, you know, XP on 256 megs was fine. I have to get service packs, not. Well, but then, like, you know, everything throughout, like, the middle 2000s happened. And, you know, everyone's like, hey, there's, like, tons of RAM now. Just yeah. eat it up. But, but, that's that's kind of what I'm saying though is the you know XP Vista you got into that you needed a lot more RAM and then now we have that it's common you know I have 16 gigs in my machine as do and, I yeah so, so that that seems to be I've seen motherboards that support more but I don't really see that many for right now this instance instance in time 16 gigs seems like plenty for most normal somewhat normal people anyways well. I'd say for normal people, like, even four gigs would be fine. I said somewhat normal. I put us in the somewhat normal category. Okay, uh, power users and gamers. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I think one use of RAM, now that we have this much, is you can start using RAM drives. Yes. Like dumping programs and things into there. Uh, just as a way to improve performance, I thought about that work for the build we do. It's six minutes long on a nice machine. And so what if the source code... And the the build path are both a RAM disk. Yeah. You, know, you, you want your code itself to be mirrored on a hard drive someplace in case your power goes off. But if it was mir mirrored in the RAM disk, your build time could be a lot faster suddenly. Yeah. So, um, uh, back to, well, let's see. Uh, speaking about RAM and stuff, uh, like my uh, Windows 98 machine, uh, I dropped 256 megs in there. So, you know, for Windows 98, that's, like, a that's lot. That's a really big upgrade. <laughs> I I remember having Windows 98 machine that came with 64 megabytes, and it had a DVD player in it. It was the first DVD player yeah. we ever had, period. And I remember you we, we bought one of the Three Stooges DVDs and tried playing it in it. And it was kind of, it played for a bit, and then it kind of paused or get jerky. Uh, it just didn't quite have enough RAM to run it. But I remember after we upgraded, I think it was 128 we took it up to, and then it could play the DVDs pretty smoothly then. Yeah, you you had mentioned that. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, you know, even, you know, once you get to 16 gigs, and, like, especially above that, then, like, you can start to think about, like, caching entire video games in RAM. This is true. 
So, but, uh, like, if you already have a solid-state drive, you probably, you know, sh- you probably wouldn't get that much of a performance. The, the need isn't as so much there. Yeah. But it's still got to help somewhat. I, I think people will get clever and invent stuff to use it for. Now that it's there and waiting to be used, someone's going to come up with an idea and be like, hey, guess what I can do with that? And then, bye-bye RAM. We'll be putting in half a terabyte of RAM into our systems or something like that well i mean if you take a look at uh servers they already are at half a terabyte of ram that's just true but for the for the consumers yeah so uh with all that uh this guy you know uh, writing you know about hey this pc is old but it's still plenty usable he says that now it's happening to cell phones and smartphones and stuff um so he said that you know every year Instead, he was, you know, upping his uh, smartphone. Uh, but then uh, he bought a Galaxy S3 uh, in 2012. And uh, then, like, he, you know, took note. It was like, then the f- iPhone 5 and 5S came out. Uh, but apparently his S3, he claims, was feature-proofed, although he didn't realize it at the time. And he apparently, uh, like, looked at the S4 and others, and they didn't seem as future-proof as the S3, apparently, which strikes me as really strange. Uh, so he said he's now down to one phone every 22 months instead of one every 12 months. So, yeah. So you're starting, when you start to get two lanes like that, something in a phone, you know, wear it out and drop it over time. So it's it's approaching the wearable life of the phone it, once he adds a tiny bit more onto it. So, yeah, interesting thoughts there. So, um, do you like jQuery? Well, you're, uh, not, you're not exactly a uh, front-end web developer, so... That's not what I do a lot, but the three times I've used it, it seemed nice and powerful. Um, so, apparently, there's a lot of jQuery hate out there, and... Uh, so someone imagines what it might be like if it were illegal in 10 years. So, you know, it shows some uh, jQuery code for, like, an XML HTTP uh, request. Are you sure about this? We can get in trouble if someone finds out. Sir, get your hands off the keyboard. Easy, easy, okay. Uh, we got a report that you are writing jQuery code. Is this true? Sir, please keep your hands off the keyboard or we will have to use force. It's like, oh no, what's this? No JS, sir. I think you should call your lawyer immediately. <laughs> so, so why did people hate jQuery? Because it's slow. Well, probably because it's popular, and you know, when something has reached a certain critical mass, like that's when the hate starts to pile on. <laughs> that's true. Um. So yeah, uh, you know, jQuery, you know, kind of started out as like a lightweight functional uh, framework. If you can call it a framework, I'm not exactly sure what it's supposed to be, uh, but it's kind of like ballooned up in size. So like it's now a, you know, a decent part of the, uh, like a web page's weight. So, um, and like there's even, you know, plenty of tutorials, you know, saying, you know, this is, you know, what you can do instead of using jQuery. Uh, because, you know, it's, it has a lot of features to it, but that, you know, a lot of features means that you're probably not using, uh, all of them. So. This is true. The more simple you make something, the, the better. 
it can be learned and used. Exactly. It's like, oh, what was it? Go, go Lang? Yeah, that's what it was. The, the, the basic commands and the, the keywords in that language are like very few. So it's, it's supposed to be pretty easy to pick up on. Exactly. So Hakem Weem Lee. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's Nor- he's Norwegian. Sounds uh, good to me. <laughs> uh, creator of CSS has a post on interesting CSS techniques that involve text columns, and he uh, claims uh, like he this title of this article is 10 CSS one-liners to replace native apps." So I'm guessing he's talking about like smartphone and tablet apps uh, for this. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly into the, uh, like the, any kind of mobile ecosystem. Uh, but the, uh, the idea here is, I guess, since web browsers don't exactly handle multiple column of, uh, multiple columns of text too well, that's like one of the upsides of using a native application. Uh, but apparently CSS already has this built in. And I'm not exactly sure what the, uh, uh, what the support is for all of these CSS declarations are, uh, but definitely a uh, like a CSS solution to you know like text based you know stuff is probably ideal. Yeah, the the column concept is tougher to do, and it definitely was very simple to to make it go. So you know he uh, you know does some things with images like uh, stuff it into a figure element. And put a caption on it. I wasn't yeah. familiar with the figure element. Do you know what it is offhand? Um, so it's sort of like, uh, like, are you sort of familiar with alt text? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you would, you know, put, you know, put your image somewhere and then wrap that image into a figure and then That's sort of like repeat that alternate text underneath of it. You know, sort of like you have in a book or in a newspaper like this. You know, it's, yeah. you know, text just immediately under the image sort of explaining what's going on. I see. Um, and then he also, you know, explains how you uh, span columns, like an article, uh, not an article, but rather how, like, some elements like images can span columns. So it's kind of interesting. It feels like we're going back to tables now again. Uh, sort of. Like the, uh, how should I say this? The maybe the appearance of tables, but not it's, actually tables. Yeah, this is true. Because this CSS like uh, used to be, you could design a whole website using tables. That was kind of the way to do it. And with CSS, you could just tag everything and make it float where you want it to be at, which so, is I, a pain to make it float. Well, to make it float to where you want to. Oh, uh, where you want it to be. <laughs> That's true. But it float, just not where you want it. Exactly. So, like, even now I have, you know, sort of trouble of, it's like, okay, I want this to float, but I want it to float down here, not over here, <laughs> down here. It's just more buoyant than the rest of the text. <laughs> <laughs> I can't exactly imagine my blog having multiple columns of text on it. So, I mean, it's nice that it's there, although I can't exactly, actually, I can't imagine myself using them. So, yeah, I, I can't actually think of many uses of where I'd... I mean, I... Because yeah, m- most of the time, if you're doing columns, you have different content you want to show up. Now, I did like how it had the the multiple columns for, uh, like, screen size. It would make columns or, or delete columns. So in that case, 
Like for me as a consumer, I have this giant wide screen in front of me. So maybe it does make sense to pop the page out and give me more columns to read at once. If it looks pretty that way, then you can still support a smartphone by having tiny columns. Or fewer columns. Fewer columns, yes. So let's go to some appreciate. Oh, there's keep.google.com. I just discovered it the other day. Another one of Google's hidden services. It turns out uh, it's very much like Microsoft's OneNote. Uh, you can pretty much just add a note and you can make like bullet points with check boxes out of you can check off to so do like tasks or you can do like uh, images. So like if you have an Android phone, you can... Uh, take a picture within the app and it'll post it up on the wall and you can archive items, notes, pictures, whatever, and search them to later if you wanted to. It seemed like a handy handy list of keep, keeping tasks ready and it was a, a way to sync the information between your desktop and your and your mobile device. Hmm, seems pretty cool. So, uh, since you mentioned a RAM drive there, I uh, wanted to pull up a, it looks kind of shady. It sort of does, but apparently it's open source. So, okay. so I pulled up the uh, RAM drive that I use, uh, or at least have used once, uh, called IM Disk Virtual Disk Driver. Uh, so, you know, this is a, uh, a package that you can essentially make a RAM drive out of, and you can also uh, like mount ISO images as well. I used one once before. I can't remember what it was called though. Very well could have been similar. So, and uh, believe it also has, uh, like, features to back up your RAM drive to disk. <coughs> Which would be needed for, for the idea that we had discussed earlier. Yeah, and uh, I believe I actually used this one. Uh, so, uh, let's see. I believe it's uh, Liquid Web. Uh, is currently having a little bit of an issue with, uh, like, their network. This is like a web hosting company. Okay. So uh, Liquid Web has been having a few problems with their router in their uh, U.S. East data center. So apparently they've disabled all their backups. Um, so and that's what uh, my company uses for like one of our clients. So like what I've been doing is like every morning I've been logging in and backing up the database and uh, <laughs> stuffing it into an encrypted zip file and okay. then and then downloading that. So, you know, there's, you know, there exists another backup should something bad happen. So, uh, you know, good, I got this encrypted zip file. It's like, okay, it'd be great if I could actually, you know, test this out a little bit and restore it. So, or at least, you know, look at, you know, what it spat out. So I'm like, okay, I don't exactly want to dump this to disk where, like, even if it's deleted, like the data on the disk is still there. Uh, because like, if you delete a file, it's only dropped out of the uh, file system tree. The data is not is still on the disk somewhere. All right, because this is a production client database. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm like, okay, well, you can try to put it into a RAM drive. So in theory, once you turn off the power to your system, like all traces of it will be gone. Uh, so that's what I did. I loaded this up into a RAM drive, uh, put the zip file over there, and extracted it. So, uh, turns out it worked. Then do you reboot your computer every time after you do that? Actually, power it off. You should power it down a little. Uh, well, I don't... Plug it. I only did that for the first one to make sure that the process worked. Oh, okay. Um, and you're getting kind of foggy again on your video quality. Yes. So, um... Okay, video off. Okay, I guess I'll turn mine off too. So, um, yeah. So we also had some podcast feedback. So Ryan sent a few things in. He says that Comcast thing was awful. It's impressive that he held up for so long. Poor Veronica. Uh, We had Comcast here at my house for about two years when we were renovating the main floor. Not sure how they suckered my dad into it, but I guess because we were getting a bunch of channels plus super TV and halfway decent internet. My only memory of it was specifically uh, was the modem overheating and failing occasionally. So, you know, all the Comcast modems that I've had haven't, uh, like, failed. But then again, I've pretty much always had central air. So, eh. Uh, Ryan says, especially when all the YouTube videos don't load on Fios. Well, it's not so bad now, ever since Netflix paid off the Verizon. What does YouTube have to do with Netflix? I don't know. But that's when I noticed that things generally loaded. (laughs) Uh, what's that? I said, wow. So, uh, Ryan adds, uh, imagine if that happened to retail employees like at Best Buy. If you don't sell 30 3D, th- 3D TVs this month, you don't get your commission. Sounds terrible. Uh, he asks, how wasn't Mom at a Service, uh, Mom as a Service, a show title? Well, now that you mention it. <laughs> uh, Ryan says, I remember Microsoft's promise html5 apps on the desktop as metro apps i don't think that worked out eh, it doesn't seem like it did either so uh, maybe it's still there but not popular uh ryan also says facebook ruins image quality and they know it of course uh but, and they know it so of course they want to help mozilla with moz jpeg i'm glad progress is being made there and Ryan liked the uh, liked the music just before the appreciate section, and that's from the Glory Days uh, from Big Giant Circles. A really nice album that. Uh, Matt says uh, Matt would say it should be shorter because he hates long shows. Uh, apparently, he can't focus for that long without dominoes. I'm gonna say it looks like this one will be a short one. So, <laughs> uh, well, we're already at about 50 minutes, so. Um, Ryan says that that character limit is insane. Uh, specifying, I think he was talking about your, uh, uh, Steam backups. Steam backups. Trying to remember. Was that when we were talking about, uh, the, how made you split it up into chunks? Sort of. And then you also said that it made a file name so long that he could not delete it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yes. I actually never did delete the file. <laughs> I was going to delete it from Linux, and but yeah, I was stuck in Windows and wouldn't. Well, was a file folder weird thingy? I don't know. I need to see it in the terminal and figure out what it is. Yeah, it might just be a limitation on Explorer 
Like, yes. if you try another file browser, it might actually work. Yeah, I'll put it in Linux and, and, and look at it in the terminal. We'll find out what it is. Oh, man, I'm having a really hard time today. If you would like to submit some feedback, do so using the Contact Us link on the Nexus.tv. In fact, uh, if you're looking at the show notes right now, there's a link right on the page to submit the feedback. And don't forget that t- today is International Backup Awareness Day. So, And uh, I will be probably going over to see Mom uh, pretty soon. So, hi, Mom. How are you doing? And, uh, yeah, I'll keep on looking around for uh, estimates on painting my car and looking for apartments and uh, going over to uh, see my friend's wedding. And, uh, yeah, uh, so uh, it was really funny there. So, you know how uh, we've noticed that once, you know, our friends get married, they stop talking to us? Yes, I remember having that conversation. So it bodes well for uh, my friend that's getting married this time uh, because, uh, how should I say this? He's keeping up the family tradition of being late. So he didn't actually get the invite out to me uh, until about maybe a week or two ago. And it's like in another week. Um, so apparently that was like a while after the RS RSVP date or so. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. It's great. So he apparently stuffed a handwritten note in there saying, "Don't, uh, you know, like never mind that." <laughs> it's fine. So that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> At first, when you said he was going to keep up the family tradition, I thought you meant he was keeping the family tradition of getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. A lot of families do that. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. So, and I threw out, uh, you know, since I might be moving soon, I uh, also went through and went through my closet and threw out a few boxes that I was keeping back there. Uh, mostly like, uh, you know, like monitor boxes, case boxes. Funny how those things pile up. I might yeah. need that someday, maybe. So, and like the uh, the boxes that you know, my three really nice monitors came in, it was like basically filled with like, how should I say, like cardboard inserts. Like they were like really folded really intricately. And like they must have had some CAD program design these things. <laughs> So, like, they were really folded weird and had weird shapes on them and stuff. So, um, you doing anything interesting? Well, oh, right, I know. I I knew I had something saved up. Yeah, anyways, so I have a friend who is getting married shortly, too. So we're having the uh, bachelor party on Saturday where we're all going to go play Minecraft together. So, yes. So, and uh, you mentioned you fell off a horse. I did fall off a horse last night. I was, I was riding at a wall, and I wanted it to turn, and so I thought I told it to turn. Evidently, it got a little confused about the turning thing, and tried to go left, then it tried to go right, then it tried to go left, then it almost crashed into the wall. So by then, I kind of lost my seat, and <laughs> I, I put my arm out to steady myself on the wall, which is... Uh, Probably a bad thing to do. It was a bad thing. It, it was... It was uh, uh, I can't think of the name of it. It's wooden sheets of particle board but not plywood there we go plywood and it, the top was open so i ended up sticking my hand down inside of the plywood so it was effectively stuck there and i wasn't going anyways <laughs> so the horse 
walked out from underneath me and left me with a big scrape on my elbow. Other than that, I'm fine. I, I wondered for a moment there if I was going to rip my arm off, but it, it didn't It didn't rip off. So we're good. <laughs> well, yeah, not ripping your arm off, that's a good idea. Yes. So, all right, that seems to be it. So uh, have a good one. You too.